Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. This is actually our inaugural podcast. That was just a small clip from one year ago today. (laughs) That was the day that we kicked off the start of this podcast. It all started with the inaugural episode on November 10th, 2020, and we had 59 listeners to that episode. Since then, we have had thousands of listens, and the podcast is growing all the time. This has been a humbling experience in many ways, but also an exciting and fulfilling one. I wanted to take a few minutes and make this into a thank you episode for you as the listener. God is really the one who started this this whole thing off. So many times we go through life and we we don't understand what it is all for. I have had the opportunity to do a lot of things that I've wanted to do in life. One of the top things I always wanted to do was radio. Maybe only the older listeners are going to understand this, but car windows used to have a hand crank. (laughs) These cranks would have knobs on them that you would turn and spin. And I, I would use my window knob to pretend that I was a radio DJ and run the control room with it. (laughs) I, I was in second grade and we spent the, um, the day, uh, one day at a local radio station. Um, and it was a part of a class project to, uh, tape. Yes. Tape <laughs> a PSA or a public service announcement. Uh, I can remember staying up all hours of the evening, listening for our radio ad. Uh, it, it was, it, it was right out of high school that I was given the, the opportunity to, to actually live that childhood dream, uh, not in the backseat of my parents' car <laughs> or at some 1 a.m. PSA, but but in a real live radio station. Uh, Earl Albritton and Dan Sheets put their reputations on the line, believe me, and gave me the job as the evening DJ at KCCS 1220 Christian Radio. Uh, KCCS what did a, a little bit of everything from music to talk, to just about everything, really. And back then, radio was not an all-night thing. You may remember um, that, that, it, that radio stations didn't go 24 hours, seven days a week. And I would shut down the station at midnight and let the morning crew open things up at 5 a.m. in the morning. Over the course of five years, I would also open the station Uh, do some weekends, remotes, and plenty of PSAs. I can still remember whenever I would play a song that I shouldn't, (laughs) like, you know, I'm not, I'm not admitting to the fact that I ever played a song that I shouldn't, but if there was one that just happened to be played by accident, let's say, uh, I would get a call and, uh, and I would hear Dan Sheets voice on the other end of the uh, of the phone saying Douglas <laughs> go ahead and put that album on my desk 
it, it would show up the next day with a sticker over the track of, of the vinyl. Yes, we, we, we spun vinyl back then. And I can also remember having a, a meeting with Earl Albritton about oversleeping one morning and not turning the station on in time. Uh, it turned out that I was responsible for most of Salem, Oregon, getting up late that day. <laughs> well, at least those that had their clock radios set to our station. But as all good things come to an end, I, I have looked back and I think fondly of my time at the radio station. It It is an experience and uh, like, like it's, it's really experiences like this that have prepared me for what God has called me to do now, together with other experiences in both politics and as a pastor and other things, God started talking to my wife and I about what it would take to do a podcast. Well, she knows me and the way I'm wired, and I have always been a big advocate of the truth, and I have challenged many others to not only know what they believe, but why they believe it. It is hard for me to see something that someone says that is not true and just let it go. (laughs) It really is. I have gotten better at this, understanding now that everyone has the right to be wrong, but the desire to stand for the truth and make sure that it is at least presented is just always there. So, over a year ago, my wife came to me and asked if I would ever consider doing a podcast. I felt like God was really doing something new in our lives at that time, and and why not a podcast, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that were changing with us and some different things that were happening, and it just seemed like a podcast was the right thing. So... We wanted it to be about common sense discussions relating to politics and the church. And since so much of truth is not common sense anymore, we named it Uncommon Sense, Christianity and Politics. These are often considered third rail topics because in a a subway system, the, the third rail is the electrified one that you just don't want to touch. Politics and religion are two topics that you're not supposed to talk about. So let's talk about them. (laughs) Too many church leaders don't want to talk about politics. And too many politicians don't want anything to do with the church. So the truth had to be presented. And over the past year, we have done over 150 episodes, one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. These are usually done with less of an emphasis on opinion, and more in the way of presenting facts and letting you decide for yourself what your opinion is on the subject. And of course, you can't leave opinion out of it entirely. But my opinion is not what the podcast is centered around. We we started with me sitting on the edge of, of our bed, to be honest with you, and and setting my my smartphone down and just letting it go. Um, add in some background music, and voila, podcast. <laughs> that's that's kind of how things got started in the beginning. And I look back now, and it is fun to see just how far we've come. Laptops and 
and microphones have replaced the smartphone. Uh, we now have an awesome logo, a website, a company even, Morganite Communications, and even merchandise like t-shirts and mugs. We have learned a lot over the past year. One of those things is that it's it's better to keep things to a single episode if possible. That's one thing that we've learned. Sometimes topics are just so big that they have to be broken up into parts. But the more the parts to the subject, the less people want to listen. <laughs> it's just the way it works. It's human nature, I guess. Even though um, our three-part series on Christians versus government authority was one of our most popular episodes. When we revisited the subject, we condensed it into one episode and it just made it easier for people to, to hear uh, the subject matter. And here's a clip from that September 22nd podcast. What if, if we weren't to come against the government in almost any way, then was the Revolutionary War a sin? Think about that for a second. If we're not to come against any kind of government authority, then was the Revolutionary War a sin? If, if we are to obey every government official, then, then why was it okay for our founding fathers to disobey King George III? He was the government of this land. I'll give you another uh, question. Did those that that hid Anne Frank from the Nazis, were they sinning? I mean, they even lied to the Nazis. Oh, no, we're not hiding anybody here. There's, there's no one here. Lying's a sin. So did those people that hid Anne Frank and, and many more like her, were they sinning? Should they not have done that? You see, the Bible talks about having respect for the office and main, in order to maintain law and order. To, to what extent can Christians work against an evil government then? And, and many say that, that we are to obey the government until it comes against a clear biblical tenet, right? So, oh yeah, I'm not, we're not saying that you have to obey everything that the government says. What we're saying is that you're, you're supposed to obey everything until it comes against the Bible. Okay, then where do you draw the line? Do you draw the line only at abortion? Is freedom a biblical tenet? If freedom is a biblical tenet, which of course it is, then anything that tramples upon that, is that unbiblical? Is making disciples all around the world a biblical tenant? Well, yes, of course. Well, the United States has provided a way for the entire world to hear about Christ. We've been blessed in many ways because of that fact. Is that a biblical tenant? Is gathering together to worship a biblical tenant? Because there's a lot of lot of laws right now that are forbidding people from coming together and gathering together to worship. Just, just like our founding fathers did years ago, we are to stand up 
for life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, which, of course, just another way of saying freedom. The Bible has us go beyond that even, though, and come against injustice, evil, harmful leaders, and, and policy even. It is fun to look back on how far we've come with the podcast. It sounds so much better now. <laughs> Here's what I mean. When I was putting together this this podcast and trying to select some some clips for it, I, I almost didn't want to include some of the early ones because it just... And, and I didn't even realize it at the time because I thought it sounded okay back then. But when you compare it to what we have now, it, ju- it just it so, sounds so much more professional. Th- this first clip uh, is an example of what I'm talking about. This first clip is from our three-part series last November entitled, Is Socialism Biblical? Well, capitalism is, is literally based on human nature. Uh, God wired us all differently. And if someone has has something, um, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a product or, or labor or whatever. If if they have something that I need, and they and 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 they're willing to price that at a price that I can afford, and want to pay for it, then we have a fair exchange. I I had some concrete work done in in my backyard not too long ago, and I went. And, and talked with an individual who does concrete work. I don't do concrete work, uh, never have. Uh, don't you know, really know a whole lot about it. I guess I could have you know, gotten on and watched some YouTube videos or something. Uh, but, uh, but I know I probably wouldn't have done a very good job. And so I talked with an individual who had a skill in concrete work. And he had the means to do it. He had the concrete, or at least he hired that out. <laughs> Um, he, he found a guy who, who had concrete <laughs> and he paid that guy, uh, to, to deliver the concrete and, and see through all of these exchanges, I now have a, a patio that's extended out and I can, I can use it a whole lot better than I could the, the weeds that were there before. <laughs> and so you see through the exchange of skill and labor we were able to come to an agreement that was beneficial for everyone. And we're all happy because of it. You see, it was a fair exchange. Now compare that to this clip from an October episode entitled, Not All Are Welcome at Church. Hear the difference here. In July, New York City's Redeemer Presbyterian, Tim Keller's Theologically Conservative Church, firmly embedded in the mainstream of American evangelism, quietly posted a statement to its website regarding service attendance. And this is what it says. It says, quote, individuals who are fully vaccinated are welcome to sit on the main floor of the sanctuary without social distancing and masks will be optional. Individuals who are not fully vaccinated are welcome to sit in the balcony. That's literally what it says. The language of the announcement was understated, but the import was not Redeemer Presbyterian had effectively segregated its church body based on vaccine status. (laughs) Redeemer, at least, is trusting the honor system to enforce its literally divisive policy. 
anyone over 12 years of age who wants to attend Episcopal worship at St. Peter's in Rockland, Maine, or St. Luke in the Fields in New York, or even Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, will have to show vaccine passports. So will anyone looking to fellowship at Atlanta's Piney Grove Baptist, those not prepared to provide proof of vaccination will be asked to provide a doctor's note explaining why they can't get the shot. They'll also need to reserve a place in the sanctuary online and sign a waiver to enter. This is a church. We really do try to be an informative type of podcast, but we try to do it in an entertaining way. Sometimes we might have a little too much fun, to be honest with you. Take, for instance, this last June, we did a two-part series on left speak, where we tried to cover what new definitions the left has replaced in the English language. Here is some of that. There's um, a couple definitions of, of, of fascist. Uh, number one, the uh, opposition to the progressive theories of the left. Uh, interestingly, since the fascists were dedicated to Marxism, fascists in left speak applies to anything or anyone that is anti-fascist, which is to say that the word fascist, as many other words in leftist speak, has the exact opposite meaning from the same word spoken in English. Uh, example, Antifa, uh, for instance. Um, they, they would say they're anti-fascist, but they use fascist tactics to do that. Okay. Anyway, uh, second, second one here is a person who opposes fascism, socialism, you know, totalitarianism. Example, President Reagan, Ronald Reagan was a fascist. So that's, that's a pretty easy, if, if you didn't really understand the definition, just understand President Ronald Reagan was a fascist. Okay. And that's the meaning. Uh, in its base meaning, it, if, an, if an average leftist wants to order a, let's say a, a veggie pizza and you and your friends want a combo pizza and therefore uh, you outvote the leftists on the pizza order from your fraternity, let's say, um, then it means that you're, you and your friend are fascists. See, so you, so you, you understand that, that if you outvote them, you're a fascist. In the mind of the average leftist, fascism means something akin to distasteful, let's say. Uh, in the mind of the more sophisticated leftist, fascist means um, politically distasteful or one who is politically at odds with the left and is used to describe anything or anyone the left sees as a threat to his fascist beliefs, uh, anyone or anything the leftist hates, or anyone with whom the leftist disagrees. No leftist is capable of understanding the fact that leftists and leftists compromise pretty much the exact same set of people. World history escapes the leftists entirely. And, and really, there's a third definition of fascist, and that's just simply Republican. So if you want to you know, just go with that, that's a pretty easy one to remember. These fun episodes oftentimes are just simply hand-delivered to us, like this gem from Not the Bee that we covered last July. As we celebrate pride on the progress we've made over these past years, there's still work to be done. 
So to those of you out there who are still working against equal rights, we have a message for you. You think we're sinful? You fight against our rights. You say we all lead lives you can't respect. But you're just frightened. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once, you're correct. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. You can keep them from disco, warn about San Francisco. Make him wear pleated pants, we don't care. We'll convert your children. We'll make them tolerant and fair. At first I didn't get why you'd be so scared of us turning your children into accepting, caring people, but I see now why you'd have a problem with that. Just like you worried, they'll change their group of friends. You won't approve of where they go at night. Protests. Oh, and you'll be disgusted so when they start finding things online that you've kept far from their sight. Like information. Guess what? You'll, you'll still, still be, be alright. We'll convert your children. Yes, we will. Reaching one and all, there's really no escaping it. Cause even Grandma likes RuPaul. And the world's getting kinder. Gen Z's gayer than grinder. Learn to love, learn to vogue, face your fate. We'll convert your children. Someone's gotta teach them not to hate.
how weird and scary was that one, right? But then there are just fun attempts at helping us understand each other, like this one from the episode, How to Pet a Snowflake. One of our daughters the other day was in the backseat of the car, and she asked my wife and I, how do I pet a snowflake? <laughs> we, we both looked at each other, and we were definitely chuckling, because we both have a different definition of snowflake than our daughter does. <laughs> it did get me thinking, though, because it does seem just as impossible to communicate with a liberal as it is to pet a snowflake. And I, I have had countless discussions with so many leftist-leaning individuals over the years, and, and I've, I've learned a few things that might help us to answer this question. I have had many conversations with conservative friends who just can't understand how many liberals act the way that they do and support the things that they support. It just doesn't make any logical sense to them. And when they try to have a, a rational conversation about the issues, they're, they're just called names or discounted or, or whatever. The, the, the productive conversation just doesn't seem to happen. Well, here on the Uncommon Sense podcast, we are all about open and honest communication. And so I wanted to talk today about how to pet a snowflake. If you are liberal-minded in your, in your politics, this podcast is not a hit piece on you. It is not an attempt to make you look bad or embarrass you. It is not intended to, to offend you either. Uh, it is just an attempt to communicate to those who are more conservative in their worldview how to understand and ultimately communicate with you. But contrary to popular belief, not, not all of our podcasts have been just fun and games. Our very first interview was with Andre Ivanov, the founder of Flash Love and the Spartan Challenge. He is helping to train young men to be men. From my point of view, there's definitely been kind of a, again, an, another term of, of feminization sort mm -hmm. of uh, type of thing within our culture uh, of, of men and, and young boys in particular. And was, was that something that, that you saw as far as a need or what, what kind of sparked this in you as, as, Hey, this is something I need to do. So that's Kasha. You're just loaded with these good questions. You sound prepared. Um, gosh, so so what what got us going? in, in your question was: Is it is it this uh, feminized you know culture uh, that has been deliberately shredding shredding uh, boys and men? Uh, the answer is yes. And and the thing is, even the word feminine uh, has been has been uh, hijacked. That the word itself, you know, is 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 a what the word is rather the meaning behind it is, is actually a very beautiful thing. Right. Um, but, but they have hijacked that and, and, and perverted, you know, the, the message itself. So even the word feminism is a, is a very repulsive term for me when it shouldn't be, because I know the kind of agenda that is the dark agenda that, that is driven. So my specific, you know, reason uh, is, is many, but one of them is because yes, they have, they have been uh, creating these, as I hate to say it, but they've been creating these soy boys, these these weak, limp back, 
uh, males that will not stand for anything besides being part of a mob, you know, and that will shame you or or uh, push you into one direction or, or other, you know, that the tyrant happens to, you know, give us a direction for. So, so yeah, it's, um, it, it's, uh, that's, that's one of the reasons that I would say, but there's more. That was a really fun interview to do as I love watching people taking action to, to do what God has called them to do. We lost a hero this past year. Rush Limbaugh passed away after a long fight with cancer. And I could not let this passing go without a tribute to such a hero. Uh, Rush gave voice to millions of people that understood the value of conservatism. And he showed that conservatism was logical, it was reasonable, and it was compassionate. Conservatives could be funny and they could be entertaining. And, and, and you could illustrate absurdity by being absurd. You know, we, we heard, we heard many different ways of Rush describing himself in some ways. Uh, talents on loan from God. And this wasn't, this wasn't a haughty thing. The talent on loan from God was basically saying, I don't have the talent. The talent that I have is not mine. It's God's. Uh, he would say mayor of Realville. He's the mayor of Realville. Uh, he, he would, he would, you know, keeping it real. He, he would, he would come out and, not, and, and cut through uh, all the smoke and, and be the mayor of Realville. Uh, I'm your host, Rush Limbaugh, he'd say, with half my brain tied behind my back, just to make it fair. <laughs> and uh, harmless, lovable little fuzzball is what he would describe himself as. Uh, and and what, he, what he wasn't was a phony, baloney, plastic, banana, good time rock and roller. <laughs> you know, he had so many of these phrases that, uh, that I think uh, will live on. Uh, he... he I uh, obtained many awards, including obviously the uh, the one that President Trump gave him. He awarded him the President Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the highest award a U.S. citizen can receive. And you know that uh, that you're doing something right when you have a, a lot of opposition. Liberals have tried many shows and uh, show hosts to rival Rush. And, and all were complete failures, just to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, after failing at that, they tried several times to take him off the air. Again, failure. Uh, these compassionate liberals have shown their true colors even uh, at, this, at this time uh, of his death. Uh, the, the mean, disgusting, uh, awful things that they are saying about him now are, are truly sickening. They really are. And uh, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, you know, conservatives uh, gave uh, respectful respects in, in, in most cases. And, and yet we just don't see that today. Um, you know, but showing j just how effective and influential Rush really was, uh, the level of venom being spewed now is, is just confirmation of his brilliance. And, um, you know, he, he, he talks sparingly about his faith over the years. But, it's, but especially in the last year, he told everyone of his renewed relationship with Jesus Christ. And um, I'm very much looking forward to seeing him in heaven and having a very long conversation with Rush. Thank you, Rush, for allowing um, yourself to be used by God. And we all are better for it. Yes, thank you for listening to the Uncommon Sense Podcast. 
It has been a great first year, and we are excited to see what God has in store for us and how we are growing as the podcast. We promise to do our part and to do everything we can to bring you the best podcast possible that doesn't waste your time, but hunts for the truth together. We are just beginning, and it's been quite a year, but the best is yet to come. Do us a really great favor, please. Go to our Facebook page, like and follow us there. If you're on Instagram or MeWeave, follow us on on there as well. Um, It really does help us. And if you want to hear entire podcasts uh, and entire episodes, maybe one that you missed, um, one that, that uh, you know, got away and you, you were busy, whatever the case may be, you can read articles from Christy or, or even buy merchandise. That always helps the podcast. You can always go to UncommonSensePodcast.com. Together with my beautiful wife, Christy, and our, as our producer, we say thank you for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Community.